Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning we will begin our reading in Romans chapter 8. We will read the first two verses of Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can read along or read along on the screen with us. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's read it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I want to start this morning because we're only going to try to look at two verses. And, of course, we've already learned that in Romans that's a whole mouthful to just try to look at two verses. But I want to just talk for a moment about what makes the book of Romans so distinctive, what makes it unique. I believe that it gives us the absolute essence of Christianity. It helps us to understand the difference between just some religion and Christianity. And I think that that is incredibly important. Most people don't know the difference between theism and Christianity. And there's a major difference sometimes. You can be both. You can be a theist, though, and have no understanding of what it really truly means to be a Christian, to have a relationship with God. I start by making this statement first. Dr. John Piper says that God is the ultimate value in the universe. Now think about that for a moment and what that means. He is the ultimate value in the universe. He is the most important thing in all of the universe. And if there is an outside the universe, he's the most important thing there. We have to guard how we look at our faith, Christians. Because when we look at our faith, sometimes we can look at it from a a worldly perspective. And let me just tell you quickly how the world looks and thinks about religions of all kinds. If we're not careful, their evaluation begins to affect how we see the Christian faith. The world evaluates religions by whether or not they're useful. They ask questions like what social or psychological or physical benefits this religion may bring. In other words, 
They don't really ever assess Christianity, for example, in categories of is it true or is it false, but more so in the categories of is it useful or is it harmful. And the bottom line that you and I have to understand is that Christianity is a revelation from God. And what is that revelation? That revelation is the revealing of our greatest need as human beings. And that greatest need is a relationship with Him. Now, the world will say, I already know my greatest need, and any religion that helps to meet whatever my greatest need is is going to be considered respectful and helpful. People will even ask questions from time to time about, well, I know you go to church. What's your church doing about helping people get jobs? Can we count on you this year for the Red Cross blood drive or toys for tots? Or are you going to be at the social justice rally this weekend? I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but what I am telling you is that Christianity is about so, so much more. It is not at all about whatever it is that is the need of the day, but it is about our greatest need, and that is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I will tell you this, God is the ultimate value in the universe. He is the most important thing. He's the only thing that is worthy of our worship. But if we are not careful, we begin to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And we become human-focused. And again, please don't leave here today and say, well, He doesn't care about other human beings or the poor or the needy. That would be a lie if you say that because it's not true. We have already made a significant contribution and will make more probably for the victims of the hurricane in Florida. But I will tell you now, we need to make sure that every dollar we give, we need to make sure that people understand that that is not the greatest need that they face. Their greatest need is to have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. When, when religions get away from that idea, when they get away from that, and it's so easy to do because it feels so good to, to feel humanitarian. It, it feels so good to be able to say, I'm not one of those religious bigots. I really care about people, and I care about the homeless and all of that. And we should care about that. But I can go ahead and tell you now, the greatest need that any homeless person has in the world is the same need that someone who lives in a $100 million mansion has. They need a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is why you and I, as Christians, we're shocked somewhat when we hear about churches that partner with organizations like Planned Parenthood in the name of helping poor women who need abortions. Drag them to church. Remember we talked about that recently. I actually called a church in Greenville to ask them 
if their advertisement was true, to tell them what I had seen was incredible, and I was very nice and very respectable, but I just had to ask. They were having a drag show at their church, and it was entitled Drag Them to Church, and they were inviting kids in, and men who were dressed in drag were going to teach them little different things about the Bible, I suppose. You and I are shocked when we hear things like that. When we hear about universalism, churches, and there's lots of them. And I can tell you, there are lots of them right here in Rutherford County that believe somehow or another, some way or another, one of these days we're all going to make it. This business of some going to hell, that just doesn't bolt up in their minds. And because it doesn't fit well in their thinking, they assume then, well, it must not fit well in God's thinking either. So somehow or another, everybody when they die, oh, they're just going to, there, oh, he's up there farming in the sky today. Oh, she's up there, whatever her job was, she's uh, sowing in the, uh, in the, for the Lord today. I don't, I don't know. Whatever that might be. We have that in our imaginations, but that is not what Scriptures teach. Why do they do these things? Because for them, the greatest value is the human being. It's the greatest value. It's the human being. If we're going to really be the church they feel that God would call us to be, then we need to make sure that we focus on the human being and taking care of the needs of the human being. Our purpose in life, my friend, is not to glorify human beings at any level, but our purpose from the beginning is to glorify God and God alone. It's easy to get it mixed up sometime. It would almost be like this. It would almost be like having the man's pardon in your back pocket from the governor and yet you walked up to a man in the electric chair and you combed his hair and walked away and let him die. You looked like you were helping. But his greatest need wasn't his hair. And you had information that would set him free. But you didn't share that with him because you felt like maybe a temporal need that he had was more important. How sad that would be. But it happens all the time. These two verses tell us Jesus Christ has set us free. This is the gospel. Let's analyze them. And I hope when we come away from here today, we'll realize and know that, man, yes, we want to love everybody, take care of people be as benevolent as we possibly can. I personally am one of those. I have the gift of giving. And, buddy, I don't mind doing that. It's not a challenge for me. Other things are, but that's not one of them. But I am telling you I have to remember that the one I am to worship and to glorify is God himself. And we're going to find out why in these two verses here. We have been set free from the law in Jesus Christ. And 
boy, this is just, this is the greatest news in the world. And we can share a lot of things with people, but we need to be sharing with with them this gospel. So I want to take a look at three things that Christ has set us free from concerning the law. We've been talking about it some since we've been in Romans. First of all, he has set us free from the conflict of the law. Now, we may say it in different words to someone who's never heard of God, but I tell you, this is the message that we need to make sure we preach. When we deliver food or firewood or mow someone's grass, all of that is good, but this is the message that needs to take priority over all of that. Notice the very first word in verse 1 is therefore. Paul writes like this throughout the book of Romans. So let's find out exactly what he is referring to. And he is referring us back to chapter 7, the previous chapter, verse 7. You'll see it on the screen. Let's read it together. What is this great conflict we have with the law? He says in verse 7 of Romans 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be, he says. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, listen to how interesting this is. Sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law... Sin is dead. He is telling us that just the fact that my human sinful nature was told that you are not to covet, I couldn't quit thinking about it. It aroused that within me. That's that's what the law did for me. It didn't set me free from coveting. It actually produced coveting within me. As a matter of fact, if you just think about coveting especially, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with my relationship with God. The next five have to do with my relationship with others. But the very last one has to do with my relationship with myself. Thy shalt not covet. Can I be happy without whatever it is that you have? Can I be content with myself without the latest and the greatest. I I see now that, man, the new iPhone 14 is out. Man, we barely got the plastic off the iPhone 13s. But the new iPhone 14, man, it does all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's incredible. It's got an app that'll pump up a flat tire. Uh, Just tons of stuff. You gotta check it out. And we'll have to have it. Because we just can't be happy without those things. And coveting is then an inward attitude. A great example of it would have been the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and talked about how he had kept the law. And the laws that were mentioned by Jesus, Jesus says, well, you know the law. And Jesus mentioned the second five, the law that had to do with his relationship with other people. But then he found out he had a problem with number 10. His problem was coveting in his heart. 
He had to have those riches. I, I, I want to follow Jesus, and I, I, I know that you are good, and, 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 and I understand that in his own understanding of good. He, he had all of that. I want to be a follower of Jesus, he says, but, but what is it that I lack? And by Jesus' usual format, he answers a lot of questions with questions. Why do you call me good? Then he finally told him, he says, I tell you what, do. This will get right to, the, right to the core of your problem. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And then come and follow me. And it says he went away sorrowful. Man, you see, the law in him had aroused that I need even more. Look at Adam and Eve. Great example. They had all of these trees they could eat from. One tree, God says, you shall not eat of it. If you do, then the day that you eat of it, you will die. And old Satan shows up in the garden, and guess what? I love that part where it says, and Eve saw the tree. Just stop right there. Maybe she hadn't even noticed the tree. Maybe she hadn't even been looking at the tree. But all of a sudden, now she has notice the tree and her curiosity is up and satan begins to feed that within her and say well wonder what it is about that tree that god doesn't want you to have he knows that if you eat of that tree that you will be like him and what could be more cool than being like god all of these possibilities had never entered her mind and now all of a sudden she can't sleep for thinking about it And the next thing you know, we're all in trouble. Well, that's the conflict of the law. It's supposed to set us free, but it doesn't. It enslaves us. And it triggers that sin nature that if you tell me I can't do it, it's just like with children. You know, little children I know are cute and all, but, you know, little children are little sinners. Did you ever have any kids that you had to teach how to lie? Now, I'm going to teach you how to lie. I don't want you doing it, but I'm going to show you how it's done. You ever had a child, you just said, I've been sending them to a selfish class. They're doing pretty good. They pitched a fit in the car the other day wanting fries from McDonald's. I think, I think she's going to graduate with honors. You never have to teach them that. All you got to do is tell them not to do it. And that's pretty much about all that we need to hear. And we get curious. You tell people about God's design for sexuality, and man, I'll tell you, the next thing you know, they can't get their mind off of the opposite sex and start to wondering what it would be like and all of this, that, and the other. And what is it everybody's trying to keep from me? And they begin to see it as a restriction on their freedom. And what they don't realize is, is when they gain that freedom that they so earnestly desire, then they could be in shackles for the rest of their life. What a conflict in the law. Secondly, the commandment of the law, or I'm sorry, the condemnation of the law. The condemnation of the law in verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that is an awesome word. There is no condemnation. 
I mean, my life might go well, and then my, my life has been blessed. If God calls me home today, I've had a blessed and exciting life, and, and, and I'm, I'm not packing up ready to go. I'm just telling you, God's been good to me. But i got to tell you, the best news of all in my life is that when I stand before God, there is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. I have trusted Him with my heart and soul. So I can tell you, maybe life's not been as good to you. Maybe life's been tough. Maybe it's left you destitute or sick or weary or despondent. But I can tell you, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you put your faith and trust in Him, no matter what happens on this side of eternity, you can enter the other side knowing there is no condemnation for you. What could be worth more than that? It's incredible. In Adam, that's our famous forefather, we have condemnation because we participate in pretty much what he did. We are just like him. And we reap the results of what he did, and it also makes us do what he did. But if we are in Christ, we reap the benefits of what Christ did. And then that makes us want to do what Christ did. Something the law can never make us do. But when you realize you're in Christ and you realize what God has done for you and how he has transformed your life and given you eternal life, that will be the thing that will prompt you to want to love your neighbor as yourself and to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and to help that homeless man to not only get on his feet but also to get right with God. That's what will motivate you to do what you are supposed to do. No condemnation. And I love the word now. It, 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 it could be taken a couple of ways, as in now, because of what Christ has accomplished, there is no condemnation. Or we could also take it as in now, right now. I, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, that old thinking that one day we're going to get to heaven, and Lord, I hope I make it. I hope they let me in. I see more cartoons and memes and foolishness like that because that's what people think. People think that they're going to die one day and God's going to take all the good on one side and all the bad on the other and weigh it out. And, and, and if the scales tip in the right direction, you get to go into heaven, and they got St. Peter there at the gate and all of that. All None of that is biblical at all. Are you living like that? Are you living like you hope when you die you don't go to hell? Man, what kind of life is that? I, I hope the good outweighs the bad. Let me tell you about the good outweighing the bad. We've all already been weighed. And you already know how it turned out, don't you? Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I, I hate to be the one to bring in the, bring in the news to you here, but uh, we've looked at your record here and mm, cheated on that test in the second grade. That got you off to a bad start. That's what people think it's going to be. That God's going to just roll out this piece of paper 
that's going to have all your sins on it. How long a piece of paper would you expect that to be? How many trees you think you killed in heaven just writing yours down? Oh, I see here you gave blood. That's good. That, that's a plus. Why is so ridiculous? Because it's so unbiblical. I can tell you we are nothing but hopeless sinners outside of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And if we are not putting our faith and our trust in his finished work, then I can tell you, you don't have to wonder how it's going to turn out. Unfortunately, you can live every day knowing you're going to hell. You're going to hell. And don't leave here today and go, well, you know, that man don't even know me and he told me I was going to hell. I, I didn't tell you you were going to hell. What I'm saying is any person on this planet that is not putting his or her faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and allowing his death on the cross to pay for that person's sin, that person is going to hell when they die. Would you like for me to say it a different way? Because that's what the Word of God teaches the good news is, He'll save you. He'll save you if you put your faith and trust in Him. That hope, so business, pray I make it, all of that kind of foolishness. He says there is no condemnation. I can tell you now, he says, before you ever die, if you live four minutes or 40 more years, there's no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it really mean to be in Christ Jesus? It's a kind of a tough one to, for us to grasp, but, but a few words come to mind. I'll share them with you quickly. One is intimacy. When you are in Christ, you have an intimate relationship with him it, it's like a successful marriage i won't just say it's like a marriage because some people might go well if it's like my last one that would be hell no it's like a successful marriage man alive i've been married to this woman here for almost 40 years and we have a intimacy among us there's just a connection there that it, it, there's no way to explain it I, we could finish each other's sentences like when she says honey uh, when are you going to rake the leaves and then I draw the breath and she says oh I know sometime next week see that is love right there man When you get around to it, man, I'll be watching a ball game. She'll walk in, speaking of high and outside, have you seen the grass? I can just tell you, it's a sweet thing when you have that kind of relationship with somebody. And when you walk with Christ... You have a level of intimacy with Him. There's also a connection 
that is there as well. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, he said, I'm trying to explain it. He said, it's sort of like this. I am the vine and you are the branches. And if the branches stay connected to me, then there is life. If you stay connected with God, then there is life. But when you separate yourself from Him, however you choose to do that, if we're not depending upon Him, if we start depending upon ourselves, then I can tell you, the death comes quickly and swiftly for us because He is our source of life when we are in Christ. It's a way of identifying ourselves as well. We either identify with Adam or either we identify with Christ. And when we identify with Adam, we are partakers in what Adam did. But when we identify with Christ, we are partakers in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Remember last week what Jesus said. He didn't say come to a religion. He didn't say, hey, you need to get in church. He said in Matthew 11, come to me. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the number one question I would ask you today. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Not just have you trusted Christ, are you trusting in Him? Is that how, is, is that how your relationship is, with God is based? Upon the finished work of what Jesus Christ has done. Are you believing in Him? We've already dealt with that earlier in chapter 1. Are you believing in Him? Those believing in Him, it's a continual process. Are you trusting in Him as your Savior. Or perhaps you're here today, I don't know you. I wouldn't judge you for the world, but maybe like a lot of people, Jesus is just your favorite Gandhi. He's a cool teacher. Jesus was really good, a really good person. Is that all He is to you? Maybe He's your civil rights advocate or and like a lot of people today especially in progressive christianity they see jesus as a fellow victim of religious oppression you know i'm just like jesus that old church over there i went over there and, and they preached this that and the other and made me feel all guilty and and that's the same way religious people did jesus and man i just want to i want to be like jesus my friend that's not salvation is he your Savior? Is he really the Son of God who came to this world and lived and died? And are you trusting in what he did for you for your salvation? That's the most important question you are ever going to answer as long as you live. And he didn't say, trust in me and then work as hard as you can and where you mess up, I'll try to come behind you and clean up. That's not how it works. You quit all of that trying business and you quit putting your faith in yourself and then finally trust in God to, to get you over the bar completely. No, it's totally just trusting in Jesus Christ. We are free from the conflict of the law, condemnation of the law. 
Last of all, we're free from the claims that the law puts on our life as well. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free. Think of it in this particular verse, the word law, not so much as Torah, but as authority. For the authority of the Spirit of the life in Christ has set you free from the authority of sin and death. Law here is like power and authority because, man, the law hangs over our head. And where the Spirit of the law brought us death, the Spirit of Jesus Christ can bring us life. Let me ask you a personal question when it comes to the claims of the law. Is the law still jerking you around? A lot of people would have to say, yeah, Pastor, I, I, I think it is. I understand what you're preaching today, and I believe it, but for some reason I just can't get past this. And, and if you, you, it's a miserable, miserable way to live because what you do is you begin to try to appease the law that you feel like you're not keeping with more law. I'll give you an example. When you go to God and you say, God, I promise I'm never going to that place again. So you just made yourself a law. And you're making promises to God that you're probably not going to be able to keep. If you do that a lot, I can tell you, you're trying to live by the law. You need to give that up. You need to stop trying to make promises to God that, God, I'm never going to date somebody like that again, or I'm never going to that club again, or I promise to never drive or act like that again. I promise, God, I'm going to quit this drinking, or I'm going to quit all of this whatever. And you start making promises to God, and you create more loss for yourself because you can't keep the ones that you feel like are already hanging over your head. What a miserable, miserable way to live. The legalist winds up being, whether you intend to or not, the legalist becomes a Pharisee whose actions on the outside are acceptable, but the attitude on the inside is despicable. Just can't ever get it right. Constantly wondering. I, I, if, I, I'll just tell you, and I know I've said it before, but I'm so tired of answering questions like, well, preacher, do you think you can do such and such and still go to heaven? I, I, I figured out a good answer to the other question I'm asked a lot. When people ask me, do you think you can lose your salvation, preacher? I think the best answer for that is, I don't know what you plan on doing. Sounds like something's bad. It, it, it is so ridiculous. When you live by the law and you think, man, I have got to please God in the flesh and by my own power somehow or another, I, I've got to keep all of this straight. I can tell you, friend, that's a miserable way to live. But you know what the Word of God says, preacher, it says that if we sin, that only death can pay for sin. And I just feel like that, that, that I just need to die. I've been so bad. I, I know Christ died for me, but I just feel like that I, it, that I feel better when I beat myself up. I, I feel better when I hate who I am. And it's just a miserable existence. Well, I've got good news for you. 
as we close this morning in Romans chapter 6, we're going to go back a little further into verse 5. Let's read together. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Did you get that? Let's go on. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified. It was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we are no longer or would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Man. Dying's usually pretty bad business. I know that's a grip on the obvious, but, but if you die in Christ, you get to live with Christ. Because just as he died, he was resurrected. And if you die with Christ, you get to be raised with Christ as well. Just like he had a new life, we get a new life. Just as he died to sin in Christ, we died to sin. Colossians 3.3, another verse I'll just mention. For you have died. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Man, I'm not saying that Christians, boy, once you get saved, you're dead to sin and the war is over. No, you'll battle temptation every day of your life, friend. Temptation is always there. And I, I, I think we give Satan too much credit sometimes, but boy, the Word of God does call him the old tempter. And Do you ever get suspicious that somehow or another he knows you really well? Huh? How did he know today that she was the last person that I needed to see? I've been dreaming about pulling her hair out. And now she's sitting beside me in church. Ooh, I saw a couple of people look over. Calm down. Oh, he knows. There's so many things that, boy, they, I, they're not temptations for me. And I don't get tempted by them much. I, I rarely, ever, if ever, I, I just, they're just, I'm, I'm, there are just things that some people can't turn loose of that I never think about. But there are other things that you might not bother you at all. Someone this morning I saw in my office, I said, hey, you look like you've lost weight. And 
person said, yeah, about 40 pounds. I'm not going to say who it was, but I said, what are, you, what are you doing? I just hadn't felt like eating. When they walked out of my office, my mouth was still hanging open. They don't feel like eating. I'm not sure I've ever been there. When I tell my wife, honey, I, I'm sick and I don't think I can eat, she immediately, she don't call the ambulance. She calls McMahon's. We have our temptations. We have our wars. Some of them we lose. But here's the good part, friend. If you are in Christ, you put your faith and trust in Him. You don't have to keep trying to please God by keeping His law. There is no condemnation for you. It is already over with. And when you leave this world, friend, you can leave with the confidence and know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Not because you deserve it. Not because you cleaned up your life but because you put your faith and your trust in the one who died for you. It's Jesus Christ. As I close today, wouldn't it have been cool? I, I thought about this. I thought I would run it by you. What if Paul, I mean, some of this stuff is complicated. What if he'd have just said somewhere, I don't know, I don't know how to word it, but what if to explain all of this? What if you'd have said, just put it in words? I, I don't know. How would you say? I've been already been crucified with Christ. You can say it that way, right? I've I've been crucified with Christ, so that would mean he's dead. But then he could say, but it is no longer I who live. I'm just saying. Okay, this is hyperbolic, but what if he said that? What if he said, I have been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live. But what if he said it's like Christ, he lives within me. And, and the life that I now live in the flesh, what if he said, I live that life by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up. That word up gives it the tone of sacrifice. He gave himself up for me. That'd be a cool verse, would it not? Where would you put that? I'm thinking around Galatians 2 somewhere. I don't know, down about, what are you thinking, verse 20? That'd be like 220. You know how us men are when we get a piece of equipment that runs on 220. We're like, oh, we call our buddies. You women may not know. Don't worry. It's just us being who we are. We're never going to use it to clean the yard up. But We need to get on old 220, friend. Galatians 220. We've been crucified with Christ. I make a mess of it, friend. I can tell you that.
But you know what motivates me to try to live more for him tomorrow than I did today? It's not fear of hell. It's not the weight of the law. But it is because I am in him. And my life is hidden in him. And I don't want to try to be holy. I want to live a certain way because by being in him, I am already holy. And I don't want to spend a lot of time sweating out trying to become righteous. No, because I have trusted in him, he has already given me his righteousness as a gift of grace. If that doesn't make you want to live for him, you don't know him. You don't know him. You're still going that religious route. Feeling good about being a humanitarian. Or maybe some other good works in your life. Hoping you make it. Wouldn't you love to get off of that circus ride today? And just say, God, I put my faith and trust in you. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask you right now, Lord, please help us. Help someone here today, God, that, Lord, I know a lot of this is, it's difficult to wrap our minds around, God. It's difficult to explain. And Lord, I have such a hard time. I'm so inadequate, God, when it comes to making it all to make sense, God, to others. So, Lord, I just depend on your Holy Spirit right now to just touch someone's heart and help them to know, Lord, in this garbled mess they heard today that there was a message that you loved them and you died for them and that if they're willing to trust in what you did for them, then they can live with you forever. Help us with that, God. I pray, Father, that we would have a heart for those around us. But I pray, God, that in the midst of that, we would not lose sight of the fact that you are the ultimate value in all the universe. We owe you everything. I pray that you would help us today, God. Help us in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.